Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. This morning we're continuing our series uh, called Gospel Eyes. It's just a study of 1 Corinthians, just seeing things in our world really through the eyes of gospel, right? So this morning we're going to be looking at marriage. And whether you're single or married, whatever, uh, I think this is going to uh, really uh, speak to you uh, and speak to your heart. So this is, this is well worth uh, of, uh, hearing what God's got to say here in 1 Corinthians 7. And we're gonna also going to be looking at the end of chapter 6. Now, I need to give you a couple warnings ahead of time here. First of all, this is going to be broad strokes, okay? Um, this is such a complex issue, and there's all kinds of stuff all over the Bible about it. So I'm just going to give you the basic, basic principles here. Um, I can't deal with all the what-ifs, what if this, what if that. There's so many different complications and things. So we're just going to hear like these basic principles, although if we live by these things, a lot of our what-if questions are going to be answered. And the other thing is, um, I put in that in scare quotes on, you know, on the screen there, impossible demands. This is going to be a tough teaching. This is hard. You know, I remember uh, playing poker a lot when I was in college, and uh, we'd play this game called five-card stud, seven-card stud, and you get a lot of cards that are exposed with that. And I remember a guy that I'd play poker with, and before he'd, like, give you the card when he was dealing, you know, he'd take a look at it, and he'd go, you're not going to like this. You're not going to like this. And I just want to warn you that there are probably going to be some parts of what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. I'm going to go, you're not going to like this, but we're going to face the truth here, you know, as as spoken in the Word of God. And so with that in mind, you know, I think there's a couple of different things that drive relationships, right? And one is loneliness. Um, This this shutdown that we've had and are still kind of like in process with, this has been horrible. You know, it just drives me crazy, just this whole idea. And it's taken a huge toll on our kids. You know, I mean, you just think about all the things that they've been deprived of. I just think about, for example, uh, the Cleveland public school system. I mean, here's a bunch of kids that, in a lot of cases, they've been, they're already behind. And it's only, only the, the superintendent of the district admitted last week that only 45% of the kids in the district are even, like, checking in on the computer. They, most of them have just kind of given up. They've gone, who cares? It's like a year that's been wasted in their lives when they, when they don't need this, and they... And there's a kind of a loneliness that comes when you can't get together with, your, with, with people and sports activities that have been canceled. And I'm going like, this is wrong. This is totally wrong. And then I think on the other end of the spectrum, um, the elderly. You know, this, was, this took place uh, about three weeks ago out in Greeley, Colorado at a residence home there, an, an old folks home called Fair Acres Manor. And the residents themselves staged a protest and they, they made signs. And these are people who are in their 80s. And this, like the sign says, I'd rather die of COVID than loneliness. And they're going like, nobody asked our opinion about this. And we've been in solitary confinement here. We can't see anybody so that they can extend our lives another year or two. And we're going, we don't want this. They're lonely. So we're doing this to people on one end of the spectrum and on the other. And in the middle, it's, it's affected everybody, you know, really. And it's something that even if we didn't have this mess going on here in 2020, uh, people are still are lonely anyway. It's just uh, part of the human condition. We, 
We want to have relationships. We need other people in our lives. Loneliness, you know, drives us towards relationships. And, and that was even back in the Garden of Eden when things were perfect. You know, God said, it's not good for a man to be alone, even then. And then physical desire. And this is a, a big need in all of our lives, this, this physical desire that we've got, this, this need for sex, this, this thing. And you combine these two things, and there's this drive toward, these, toward deeper and deeper, more intimate relationships. And uh, Paul starts off this thing in 1 Corinthians, end of 1 Corinthians 6, talking about, I guess, what we could barely call a relationship, but it's a very temporary one, but it teaches us maybe a couple of lessons here. And uh, I'm going to start with 6.13, where Paul says, you say food was made for the stomach and the stomach for food. This is true, though someday God will do away with both of them. But you can't say that our bodies were made for sexual immorality. They were made for the Lord, and the Lord cares about our bodies. And God will raise us from the dead by his power, just as he raised our Lord from the dead. Don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her? For the scriptures say, the two are united into one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And so he talks here about maybe the most casual of all relationships, right? It's sort of a, a starting point right here. And he talks about how when we have uh, engaged in physical intimacy, sexual intimacy, there's a uniting, but it's not just a physical bonding that's going on here. There's, a, there's an emotional bonding that takes place. This is something that the Bible teaches, and this is something that science has caught up with finally too, is that there's never such thing as a casual sex. There's, there's always a depth to that. There's a bonding that's going on. There's something big that's going on in the emotional realm that's, that's there. Physical intimacy bonds us with the other person. And it's, you know, I got this picture actually off of uh, an article that was talking about accidents that people have had with super glue and how they've, you know, glued themselves together in various ways or their own fingers and toes, whatever, this kind of stuff. And that's actually a pretty good picture of what goes on when, it, when we're talking about physical intimacy between two people. There's a kind of attachment that, uh, that happens there. And you can see that when relationships break apart, there's going to be pain then. Just like when, if you super glued a couple of fingers together and they try to rip them apart, there would be, there'd be definite pain. And this explains why in our society, which seems to be so dedicated to hooking up and casual stuff like this, that we've got so many people who are in pain. People who are in relationships and then they're not, and because they've been physically intimate, that pain is so much deeper. We see stalking. We see like revenge. We see people who can't move on to the relationship that God has for them because they're still grieving the one that they had before and that bonding has taken place because of the bonding that took place with that person that they were intimate with. And we see people who are promiscuous and how that ages them because their personality gets fragments, fragmented since they're bonded to a whole bunch of different people. And the Lord knows this kind of stuff, and that's why 
he says in, in just these very strong ways here in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, run from sexual sin. Stay away from physical intimacy that's not in marriage. He's going, no other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. You know, it's like a lot of people go like, well, God's just old-fashioned. He's just prejudiced. You know, he's just a spoil sport. He's always trying to, like, get in the way of our fun. And the Lord's going, no, I care so deeply about you. I'm, I'm warning you, don't, don't do this to yourself. This is, not, this is not good. Plus, I bought your body. I care about that. That's where I dwell as a believer. That's my temple. And so I care about, about what you do with that very much. Now, the other thing about this business here where, you know, that he talked about in 1 Corinthians 6 is it's not only like the physical bonding that he's talking about here, but he's also talking about a, a relationship. Now, we know this is like the lowest, maybe the, you know, one of the cheapest forms of it. But it's a kind of a contract relationship. A contract relationship is where you have an, it's an agreement that's based on mutual performance. And so in that, in that case there, it was like, okay, on the one side it was like money, and the other side it was like, okay, certain services and things like that. But contract relationships are all over our society, and there's a lot of good contract relationships that we've got. And there's some that are kind of manipulative, like this cartoon right here, um, where this mother is talking to her son, and uh, she said, Jason from your class will give you a free slice of cake and some ice cream if you'll bring him an expensive toy and pretend to like him for a couple of hours on Saturday afternoon. This is the contract relationship of birthday parties, right? So on the one hand, uh, one party goes like, we'll give you cake and ice cream, and on the other hand, the other party goes, I'll pretend to like you for a couple of hours, and I'll give you an exp expensive toy. And because it's a mutual agreement like this, as long as both sides carry on their part of the agreement, we can have a nice relationship, right? And a lot of our business stuff is like this too. Like, for example, I'm a real brand loyal guy. I don't know if you are, but like, like I love Southwest Airlines. So I always fly Southwest. I like their prices. I like the way they do things. I've just been treated well by them all the time. And so like the summer when we flew out to see some of our kids and stuff, we flew Southwest as usual. But the next trip that I'm planning here, I'm going to a city where Southwest doesn't fly. And so I'm going like, you know what? I am going to have a relationship now with American Airlines this time, you know? I'm going to jump from one to the other because Southwest can't satisfy my needs here. They can't come through for me. So you understand what I'm talking about here. Now, I think a lot of our just personal relationships are contract. I think a lot of our friendships are contract relationships where they're based upon mutual performance and kind of an unwritten agreement that we've got between us to treat each other in certain good ways, right? It's kind of a, a contract. Uh, here's a picture of a Jewish couple, and uh, they're signing a ketubah. I don't know if you ever heard about that, but in uh, a lot of Jewish weddings, they have a written contract, and what it does is it details what 
uh, all the expectations from the bride and then all the expectations from the groom. And then it talks about um, what would happen if one party or the other would fail to live up to their agreement. And then the grounds for breaking the contract or divorce, as we call it, when a contract relationship is broken. And then what's expected after that? And so, um, and we, we kind of do that thing, but we don't usually sign a piece of paper detailing it in our weddings too, right? So we make vows. And the vow, we go like, well, I promise I'm going to do this. And then the other person goes, I'm gonna, I promise that I'll do that. And then on that basis, people come together having made mutual uh, promises. When people live together uh, without getting married, I think the same thing happens. It's kind of a tacit thing to go. Like I'll, there are certain expectations of, you know, with a marriage as well. It's like I'm going to give you love and I'm going to give you respect and I'm going to make you happy and I'm going to take care of these uh, physical needs you've got and monetary needs and things like that. And the other person's promising the same thing. Now, here's the deal when it comes to contract relationships. You can opt out of a contract if the other person does not fulfill his obligation. So in any contract, you can get out of it. So for example, um, I ended my relationship with AT&T, finally. Now those of you who have been with me for a while, <laughs> some of you are applauding here, you know I've had a stormy contract relationship with AT&T because they promised me 25 Mbps right off the bat and never delivered on that. And then, but they always like sent me the bill with approximately the right amount, went through a lot of stuff right there. But then, recently, they've been kind of like cheating on me in a sense, because what's happened is uh, the bill has been going up, 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 and I've done everything I can to keep this relationship going. I've called them and I've said, you know what, you're going to lose me as a customer if you, are, you know, if you keep breaking your agreement about how much you're charging me and such. And just recently, by the way, it says here there are 650 reasons to help you switch to AT&T. I got about 1,300 to tell you to switch away, you know? And so finally I decided, you know, I don't love them anymore. And so I'm going to go to uh, WOW. And uh, I'm happy with them so far. <laughs> you know how it goes if you guys deal with these companies, right? They treat you bad. Anyway, so, but that's the deal with a contract, right? So you can opt out if the other person doesn't fulfill his obligation. And so if you have a contract uh, relationship, you have a contract model for a marriage, divorce makes sense, doesn't it? If they fail you, if they don't make you happy, if they don't seem to be loving you and stuff, um, you're, going, you're not meeting your obligation, so the contract is null and void, and I'm, I'm out of here. Okay, now, Paul's got a better idea. If we're going to look at marriage through gospel eyes, we're going, to have to, we're going to have to get out of this contract relationship mentality. And Paul has an idea here that comes from the Lord, and that's covenant relationship. And covenant relationship is not a mutual agreement. That's not the basis of it. But it's a commitment that's based on a perpetual promise. So I want to show you two of the most radical verses you're ever going to see, okay? especially if you're like an American like me, where we're very individualistic and we're very hedonistic in the sense that we live to be happy. Okay, here's what it says. 
So it says in verse 10 of 1 Corinthians 7, But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. So this comes directly from Jesus. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Whoa! Can you believe that? I mean, looking at that through the eyes of the average person, they're going, that's crazy talk. They're going like, a wife must not leave her husband? Uh, and a husband must not leave his wife? And then it's saying there, if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him? You know what he's saying here is he's going like, you know what, I want you to, if you're seeing marriage through gospel eyes, this thing is like a, a commitment. It isn't a contract. And it's like, okay, I am, I am determined to make this thing work. I'm going to hang in there with this thing. This is, this is going to go on, man. This is, we're going we're gonna to get this thing going here. And it's like, even if the marriage becomes such that it's, you wouldn't even want to be in it anymore, it's gotten so bad, maybe so dangerous or something, and you leave, he's saying, still fight for it. Fight for that thing. Do everything you can to see if it can be restored. Don't give up on it. Don't bail on it. Don't walk away from it. This is a completely different way of looking at things than when we've ever seen before. It's just like, wow, perpetual commitment. Now, here's a word of encouragement here as you think about this, because you're going, man, I don't know if I can sustain this, you know? Is that God honors covenant marriage and he sets apart the family of a faithful spouse. Now, check out these verses here that follow. So here's what... Uh, Paul says, he says, now I'll speak to the rest of you, though I don't have a direct command from the Lord. He said, this, you can't find this like in the gospel, uh, the, you know, the four gospels when Jesus is quoted there. He says, but he says, I believe this is coming from him. If a fellow believer has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. There were a lot of people in this Corinthian church who had become believers and here they have this this husband or this wife who's not a believer and they're going now what do i do now i'm starting to follow the lord but they're not they're they don't even they're not doing this and he goes stay with it and if a believing woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her she must not leave him why he says this for the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage what does that mean? Holiness literally means set apart. So holiness means that God is going like, I have a special purpose for you. So what happens is, if you're a believing person and your spouse is not, God's going, you know what? Your husband is special to me. I am after him. I am going to draw him in. This is a special reason. I'm honoring this marriage relationship because you're married to him and you're a believer, I'm going to try to make this thing work out for you. He is going to follow, or she is going to follow the Lord if I have anything to say about it. So I'm going to push that thing. So I'm going to woo that person. I'm going to convince that person. I'm going to draw that person. I'm going to break that person if necessary to try to bring them to me. They're set apart. They're special. And check this out. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Did you realize your kids are holy? You're going, no, they're not. You don't know them. No, understand that word holy doesn't mean that they don't disobey you and stuff. That word holy means they're set apart. God's going, I got my eye on those kids. 
I got my eye on Gloria. You know, she's, she's something special to me. She's going, I, really? She's special to me, says the Lord, you know? And so I'm going to draw her in. This is a promise. Hey, these promises here are promises that you and I need to cling to in our lives if we're praying for a spouse who isn't following the Lord, if we're praying for kids who aren't following the Lord. I've been praying for, for, my, for some of my kids for decades, you know, but I'm trusting this promise. And sometimes I'm going, Lord, I'm not seeing any progress here. I'm not seeing this prayer being answered. But, I, but the Lord's saying, look at they're set apart. Trust me on this. You know, you're, a, you're a, my follower, and so there's, you know, your family is important to me. It's important. So the Lord is saying, fight for that marriage. Hang in there with that thing. Stay true to that commitment that you made. Don't bail. Now, at the same time, I need to give you a word of reality here, too, is that God's not going to force them to believe. So he says, but if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? We always got to remember that God is not a stalker. God is a lover. And he respects people's dignity. You know, and he goes like, I am not going to force you to follow me. And if you refuse, even though I'm battering at the door of your heart, even though I'm pursuing you with everything I've got, I'll respect your, your wishes, you know, because you're not a robot. You're a human being, and that's the way I created you, and I respect that. But I grieve the fact that you're not following me. I think that would be his attitude here. So it's not a totally done deal, but we're trusting that God is at work in these situations where our hearts are being broken because it isn't happening yet. You know, George Bernard Shaw, who had no use for Christianity at all, he said, a contract for better, for worse, is a contract that should not be tolerated. Yeah, if you think of relationships as contracts, he's right. I mean, for better, for worse, that means if that person, like I was thinking of a couple that I knew at, my, at a church I went to back in the day. And I remember visiting this this couple, and talking to this woman, they were fairly elderly people, she said, you know, my husband was just a kind and gentle person, and then she said he had to stroke a couple years ago, and it changed his personality, and she said he's just become a real mean, nasty person, but she says, I'm hanging in there with him, and I thought, God bless her, you know, she, she was committed to him, Sometimes covenant relationships are tough. You know, one, one partner or the other gets Alzheimer's, you know, an early onset kind of thing, and then the other partner just takes care of them. And I think of a, a man that I worked with for many years at Lutheran West whose wife was, got so sick that she was just kind of helpless and bedridden, and he would go home at various parts of the day just to check up on her, and he'd feed her. He wasn't getting anything back from the relationship but he had that covenant thing. He had those gospel eyes toward his marriage. He was giving and he was giving and he was giving. If it was a contract, he would have bailed. But he, he knew it was a, for him it was a covenant. You know, there are some real advantages to covenant. And one of them is that I can be known and yet loved. You see, if I'm in a relationship that's based on my performance, where, you know, I better come through, then if I have weaknesses, if I have failures... I'm going to be worried, and I'm going to have to hide those failures. I, I won't be able to be honest and transparent because I'll be afraid they'll use that against me. 
and that might blow up the relationship. But in a covenant relationship, I can be known. And even my flaws and my weaknesses, and yet I can still be dearly loved. And I can be forgiven. So that if I have wronged that person and really failed that thing, someone can come along, the other person can come alongside of me and, and go like, I'm, I'm still going to be there with you. I'm going to let that go. And my spouse is going to support me when I fail and help me to meet my obligations. And going, look, at you're not going well here, but let's work together on this. That's what a covenant relationship would be all about. Does that sound familiar to you? Does that sound like any other relationship you've ever heard of? You know what? It should, because that's the relationship we have with God, isn't it? That's a covenant relationship. Thank, thank the Lord for that, that it's not a contract. It wasn't a mutual agreement. It was a covenant. And um, just check this verse out here. I remember when I was first a believer, we, used, we had a song that was based on these words from Isaiah 54. And it said, it's just a great it's just a great verse. It says, For the mountains may depart. This is the Lord talking. The mountains may depart and the hills may be removed, but my steadfast love shall not depart from you, and my covenant of peace shall not be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. He could not say his covenant of peace won't be removed if he didn't have compassion, right? He has that mercy on us where he's going, you guys are flawed, and I know that you let me down so many times, but my covenant of peace will not be removed. It's not based on your performance. It's based on my commitment to you. And that's awesome. And that's why Christian marriage is just a picture of what God is up to in our lives. You know, that same covenant is being replicated in our relationship with our spouse. Um, I, I used this story at school. It was a news story that I found in the Washington Post some years ago. And it was about this woman here who you can see on your left. Uh, she's dressed in uh, dark clothing right there, and she's holding a piece of paper in her hand. They're leaving the Washington, D.C. Uh, courthouse. What happened to her was she uh, was horribly disfigured. And what happened was um, she had this guy that she was uh, living with. They had a child. And uh, then as time went along, they, they broke up. She broke up with him. He had a drug habit, and she did too. And um, one day he came over. He was jealous of her. What is she up to now? And he come, came over there, and he had this big he had this bucket with gasoline in it, and he dumped it over her and lit her on fire. She was burned over 40% of her body. She had to go through 22 different surgeries, she today still has to take 10 cold showers a day just because of the itching that she just that continually plagues her. It's horrible. And it kind of illustrates the first thing I talked about, how that kind of bonding that we do outside of a covenant marriage that would last can, can just be turned back to be very painful with its unintended consequences. But the other thing that this illustrates is something else, because you know what happened? when that, they put that guy on trial for what he did, that horrible thing, she wrote a letter, handwritten letter to the judge, and she begged the judge to have mercy on this man. I'm going like, wow. Her friends went, how could you do that? That's crazy. And she, she's, but she's, that's a picture of what mercy is like, how we have wronged the Lord, and yet he has shown mercy to us, and he 
written that letter on our behalf, so to speak. And in a covenant marriage, there's that kind of mercy that's shown that can keep that thing alive, even if one person is, is not holding that thing up at the time. Uh, that's why it says in 2 Timothy 2, if we are unfaithful, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny who he is. That's the nature of God. He's just Mr. He's just Mr. Uh, mercy. He's Mr. He's Mr. Compassion. He's Mr. Commitment to us. And see, if we're followers of Jesus, and we got a spouse who's a follower of Jesus, or just even by ourselves, we got the Lord in on this relationship with us. And the Bible talks about a three-braided cord that the, the God of compassion joins us and enables us to be compassionate people when we never could have imagined we could be. Um, I got uh, just a couple of implications from um, 1 Corinthians 7 to finish this off. There are some implications of a covenant marriage for married people and also for people who are single. And the first one is this. Paul says, not everyone ought to get married. You know, he says, now regarding the questions you ask in your letter, yes, it's good to live a celibate life. You know, if you think about what a covenant marriage implies for our lives and what that demands of us, you know, maybe it's something that people ought to think about before they jump into, right? And there's another thing that Paul mentions. I think the reason why he was single was different. I don't think he, I don't think he, he said to himself, I don't think I can accomplish this. I think he had a different thing. And he says uh, later in the chapter, in verse 32, he says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. And he, he reverses it then for, the, for wives and husbands. Then he goes, I'm saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. If we're going to invest in that covenant, that's going to be... Uh, you know, it's going to cause us to have some interests divided. So he's going, understand that going in. Uh, a, a person who is single can be really be focused on maybe that thing that the Lord is going, hey, this is, I want this to be your passion right here, so do that to the exclusion of everything else, just like Paul did. Paul was so busy planning churches, he's going, I don't have time for that covenant marriage, so I'm just going to stay single. But marriage has advantages too. And he says in verse 2, but because there's so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. So that our physical desires, that can play in there too. And marriage is a good, good thing there. And, and he also, I think at the second half of that verse, he's going, let's bag this polygamy idea that's been around for a couple thousand years, you know? Uh, so he's going, let's, let's do this right here. Now, this is an interesting verse, verses 8 and 9. He says, So I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. I want to say something that our culture, again, wrongs our young people big time in this area. Let me explain what I'm talking about. Um, let's go back 150 years. I've read enough about what it was like in 1870, 150 years ago, it was pretty different than now. And you know what? In 1870 was a much more innocent time. Kids were pretty sheltered from a lot of the stuff. 
And it was not uncommon for a, a girl on her, the night before she was married and even a guy on the night before he was married to have the talk with her parents where their parents would go like, now here's the way this whole thing works. And I've read accounts, believe it or not, of doctors who have said they would get visits from a married couple about a week after the marriage. And uh, the married couple come in there and they're all embarrassed. Like, well, doc, or something. I want to talk to you about something. Things aren't going so well here and stuff. And the doctor is going like, uh, hold on a second. So he goes back to his cabinet and he gets out these two anatomically correct dolls. He's going, okay, this is the male, this is the female, this is what they do. And the couple goes, oh, oh, thank you. And they leave and they see the doctor about a week later and say, hey, thanks, everything's good. And the doc's going, what were they doing? You know, and it's like there was a certain amount of innocence and unawareness. And then people got married younger. So like 18, 19, 20. And so if you were a Christian young person, it was like you had a couple of years or three years where you were kind of holding off on those desires. Now look, check out today. Thanks to our wonderful internet, they say the average kid becomes aware, you know, when they're about nine and a half. Crazy. And then we go like, oh, married? don't get married so soon. Let's wait. Wait till you finish college. Oh, wait till you settle in a good job. Oh, and get off, pay off all those college debts, you know. Maybe, you know, and so we hold people off till they're 27, 28, 29, 30. And then we tell our Christian young people, we go like, you know, you want to stay away from sexual immorality. And they're going, what? You're talking 17 years? What are you expecting out of me? This is, we, we live in an insane society. I'm convinced of it. And Paul's going, look, maybe it's better to marry younger. In fact, it is better to marry younger than to sin sexually. He's going, we can't take this sin lightly, you know, because you can, as we saw before, this is something that has repercussions in our, not only in our bodies, but in our souls and our, in our emotions. And then he says this, husbands and wives should be active lovers. He says the husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs, the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband gives authority over his body to his wife. Don't deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Afterwards, you should come together again so that Satan will, won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. He's going, husbands and wives should be active lovers. They shouldn't be using this as a weapon in their marriage. We need all the bonding we can get as we work on this covenant relationship. And finally, just a bottom line here, the second last verse of the chapter, he says, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. We need the Lord in our relationships. If, you know, if you're a single person, it's so important for you to be looking for someone who knows the Lord so that you can work together with the same aims, the same goals, and the same gospel eyes for marriage. And, um, and you, you know that you'll have the Lord's enabling to do these things that he's calling you to do that seems so impossible to the rest of the world. You'll have his heart, that heart of mercy and love and compassion that you can bring during those inevitable times when it's just 
seems so difficult to go on and you feel so failed by the other person. And so there's a lot of things that each of us brings to the table with this. And I've only just scratched the surface on this marriage thing just to show you what it said in 1 Corinthians 7. There's a lot in like Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 where it talks about uh, circumstances of divorce and remarriage and, and such like that. But I think this gives us some, some principles, some things to shoot for as we walk our lives out in a way that pleases the Lord and, and sees things really through gospel eyes. So let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, first of all, I want to thank you for the covenant of peace that you've made with us, that you're in a covenant marriage with us and not a contract. Can't thank you enough for that. Thank you for your understanding and your, your kindness, your mercy, your compassion, and your, your mercies that are new every morning, how faithful you are even when we're unfaithful. I want to pray for the marriages that are represented here. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we could see our marriages through covenant eyes, that we would be people of, of uh, compassion. We'd be people who could, could stay working on that commitment even when things get difficult for us. Lord, if there are people here who've got spouses who don't know you, I just want to pray, Lord, that, they, that you would go to work like you've said in, in, uh, in, that, in that marriage and that you would uh, draw that unbelieving spouse uh, to you. If there are marriages that are having problems this morning, I'm praying for healing and strength and resolve. Changes of way, uh, way on people's part if they need to change repentance that would need to happen here. I want to pray, Lord, for, um, uh, for all of the marriages in this sense, Lord, that we could serve you with undivided hearts that we would not... Uh, that we would not pull back from the things that you'd have us do in service of your kingdom. Father, I want to pray for those who are single. I just want to pray, Lord, that you would uh, give them gospel eyes in this matter too, that they would not settle for something. They would not uh, just look to take uh, what is not your choice there, that uh, you'd raise up godly men and godly women to be spouses and uh, to bring that... Uh, you know, just that, that oneness and spirit to a marriage. And Lord, just uh, show us the way. Uh, if we've gone wrong in the past, we're just thanking you for your forgiveness. We pray that each one of us could just start anew this morning, the fresh take and move on into what you've got for us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.